Welcome to Marsha's Plate, a black trans inclusive feminist podcast. A place where we know that not everybody is invited to the cookout. And we also know that every single day is a brand new day and we have the power to make a difference today. So let's do this. social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Just search for Marsha's Plate, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Y'all ready? Let's get started. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. Welcome back. Woo! Hey. <laughs> peace, 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 peace. What's good? Oh, we my God. Back. We are black. Happy birthday. You know, Yay. we get older, you know, so I'm excited about that. Feel good. Happy belated. Thank you, thank you. You know, after after 40, I just feel like I'm grown now, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Honey, my break has been full of um, <laughs> mental and physical health issues. But, honey, we are mm. here. We are queer, even with our neck brace on, honey. Oh, mm. I see, I see. What happened to your neck? <laughs> getting old, honey, getting old. I'm not as excited as not Jay getting is. Old. I'm not <laughs> excited as Jay is about hopping up another decade. Uh, and for me, it's the aches and pains. All of a sudden, my neck just start hurting when I wake up. I think it's the braids. How the hell? Only got about 15 braids on my head. How the hell is 15 braids then crinked my damn neck? And <laughs> my, my ankles and stuff be hurting. I can't sit Indian style no more. Honey, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, my break was pretty cool. I had some good stuff happen. So um, uh, we've talked about, I've talked about this on the show. We did, uh, um, you know, our database around trans homicide. So we were um, nominated as finalists for the Scribs Howard Foundation Award. Um, And and we actually won. So, <laughs> hey, congratulations. they announced it, and I was in um, Baltimore for the first time, and I'll talk, we'll talk about that later. Um, but we actually won, so I'm just so excited about that because that is a, um, you know, uh, it's a, a big journalist award. And so I had this vibe, this moment with a funder 
Y'all know we have been, well, I have been trying to get um, Marsha's play underwrited. Like I'm trying to, you know, it's hard as an LLC. I feel like because I work in nonprofit, if 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 we were a um, a five hundred one c three business, it would be super super easy for me. But because I am an LLC, it is re- it has really been difficult to get people to actually invest in our work. You know, of course, we love our patrons and people who, on an individual basis supporting us. But I really want uh, a salary for us so that. We are not beholden to um, our regular jobs. If, if our regular jobs get to acting fucking stupid, I want us to all be taken care of in a way that we at least have a salary coming in. Honey, so that my regular job can't act like a saint. Honey, <laughs> as soon as I can afford to live off of my online presence, baby, when I tell you I'm going to clock up out of there permanently. <laughs> I am not meant to be working for the cracker for the rest. <laughs> of the- <laughs> yeah, so I, I want us to be in a more comfortable space. So that's what I'm actually working on now to kind of get us underwritten by some amazing. So if you are a, a connected to an amazing organization, yo, hit me up. I got a budget. I want to. If you want to underwrite some stuff, let us know. Um, and so I had. I was in a conversation with this person and I don't want to say the name just because I don't want to fuck it up. But, um, um, I I was in conversation with this person and the way that they were kind of coming at me was like, Oh, but you're not really a journalist. And I'm like, what you mean? No, I'm not traditional media journalism, but I am and have been. So what are you talking about? Like, so, you know, get out of here. So she kind of, but kind of pissed me off a little bit because I was like, don't play me. Especially when you came to me, (laughs) you came to me because somebody told you like, this is like the black LGBT journalist in Texas. And if you want to support black LGBT focus in Texas, this is one of the people who's doing it. So clearly you came to me because somebody thought that I was a journalist. Motherfucker. (laughs) For a they better stop playing in your face acting like we don't realize that independent media and digital media is the new journalism. We are the new journalists because we are the few who actually read the traditional media, but we found ways to deliver it to the public and entertain them at the same time. Yes, I, th- I think that it's important, long as we have the integrity and you know we are doing deep dives into um, what's going on and have the integrity to kind of give the truth, not kind of to give the truth, but um, right, just do it in our in our way. I, th- I, I consider myself a journalist, but winning this motherfucking award from a respected journalist <laughs> organization affirms, bitch, I'm a motherfucking journalist. Get your ass out of here. <laughs> okay, I just want to say congratulations. <laughs> so that's one thing. That's one thing that went super, super amazing. So we won that. So I went to Baltimore for the first time. I had never been to Baltimore. And um, it was so, first of all, Baltimore is black as hell. Is 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 banji as fuck. I did not know I was going into a space that was that. And I lived for oh, it. Oh, really? No, I thought it was about oh. to. I, you know, I. 
because I was only connected to Baltimore people, like black people, I thought I was being skewed in a way, in that way, because I was like, oh, oh I only know got, black no, people. Some of you talk the city's love, yeah. Yeah, so oh, I was like, thought, oh. You thought the people you knew, like me from Baltimore, was an anomaly. Not an anomaly. I just felt like, well, I only fuck with black people from there. So I only, I'm only going to know the black side of Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore. I didn't know it was going to be a chocolate city. Our, our minority Baltimore. Caucasian population are the homeless people who, who panhandle. Baltimore, Philly, so, you know, Detroit, you still got some black cities. I mean, Baltimore. I didn't get, you know, I know Philly, <laughs> Philly got, you know, it's, have a heavily black population, but every time I go to Philly, it it, it just feels like kind of multicultural. Mm-hmm. When I went to Baltimore, it felt black. It, it yeah. felt black. Yeah. It felt like, oh, this yeah. is a black city. And I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved mm-hmm. everything. I will definitely be going nice. back to Baltimore. I had never been. It was, oh, I love this. It, it was dope. I loved it. So the reason why I was there is because... Afro and Audio has a festival every year, and they had it this year in, which is a podcast festival, and they had it this year in Baltimore. And they just announced that it's going to be in Baltimore for the rest of the time. So I love that. It's super, 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 super dope. I love it. So I will be going there every year for Afros and Audio. And so while I was there, um, shout out to um, Janicia from T with Queen and Jay. We went there together, and it was, it was, we just, we had a great time too. Um, but I had to catch a train from Baltimore to DC because the, um, Smithsonian African American history, uh, a museum of African American culture and history. Is that how you say it? What's the it's, official it's, name? It's, it's history and culture, I think. History and culture. I can't remember the exact name, but the, you know, the African American museum, the big one connected to the Smithsonian. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So they launched their very, very first documentary that they've ever done. And it's about, it's called God Talk. And I am one of the principal people in the documentary. And so they premiered it. They premiered it. And it basically, it is a documentary about um, millennial spirituality. And they went all across the world and talked to millennials about um, their spirituality. And, you know, there was a theme of, you know, we talked about African-American history. So there was a theme of how people either enriched and changed and shifted when it comes to the black church or how they left and found spirituality in other areas. And so um, they interviewed like 162 people all across the world. Um, even like a a priest that went to Sweden, um, you know, some people in Africa, all over the United States and the, um, the Caribbean and Canada, just black people all over. Um, and then they, and they picked seven out of those 167 people to talk about their experience. And it just, for me, they made me feel super, super safe. Um, it was me, um, the queer people to me, I don't know about the other, I, I don't want to say the only queer people, but the queer people that I know for sure are queer because it is in their identity um, is, was me and Travell Anderson. We, we will have Travell on the show. That's coming up. We, we, you know, we did our thing. So um, that's coming up soon. 
Um, but it was such a big ass premiere at the museum. Motherfuckers was fancy. The 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 <laughs> the DC elite came out. It was so dope. It was so it was just a whole vibe experience that I was not prepared for. Um, I thought that I was just going to come in and be in the audience and watch it with the people, but I, clearly I did not understand the, the gravity of what we were doing. And so when I walked in, I was like, ooh, oh, hold on, it's banquets, people was in gowns, people was in gala. Like, I'm literally, I literally, if you look at oh, pictures wow. of me, I posted pictures on our um, Instagram. I got on chucks, like some gold chucks. Like, I was looking cute, but I wasn't in no gown yeah. and shit. I, you know, I like right. to come stun on motherfuckers. I like to come and put a, a gown. If you tell me it's a gala, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm right, come right. in, in the in the attire. <laughs> but I did not know that, um, that it was what it was going to be. But it was so dope. The audience was so, like, engaged in the work, watched it and engaging with it. It was just so, 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 so good. So I went down there for that, and it was so amazing. I love it. So, y'all let us know what has been going on with y'all. Mm-hmm. Boom. Hashtag Marsha's Play. Oh, my God. I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So, not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know... I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. (laughs) So thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? (laughs) All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. Hey, y'all. So this is a trigger warning for the rest of the episode. We are talking about sexual assault allegations really heavily because we discuss Dwight Howard and his allegations. And we discuss P. Diddy and his allegations with... Cassie, I don't consider the way we talk about it heavy, but I don't know if you would consider it, but it's not heavy to me. But what you don't have to worry about is victim blaming or us not thinking that these clown, these predatory clowns out here are not doing what the fuck they're doing. You ain't ever got to worry about that. But overall, we try to make the topic more light and talk about them in a more nuanced way and bring our special kind of sauce to the conversation. But yeah, I just wanted to give y'all a trigger warning and I hope you enjoy. Apparently, Dwight is no longer D.L. Howard, honey. He done came (laughs) out the closet. He done came out the closet. I don't know what's voluntarily, involuntarily. He not 100% out the closet. He halfway in, halfway out. Right there in the arch, I think. You know, you can't really close the door all the way. Anyway, I don't know if y'all heard, but Dwight Howard, former NBA star, honey, 
It's been rumored for years, you know, that he likes the gender non-conforming assigned male at birth people. You know, it's been rumored that he was into the trans girls. It's been rumored that he's been a little hetero flexible. Now, when D, <clears throat> I keep wanting to call the child DL. Now, when Dwight is no longer in the NBA, honey, you know, 30 teams passed on him. Now that Dwight is no longer in the NBA, honey, it's been rumored that there may be allegedly, you ain't heard from me, it's been allegations that there had been some financial issues, honey. He was on the mass Singer now. He he was on Fox. He was trying to get any check he could get. Long story short, they said now that he now he can't pay people off and put hits on people to keep their mouth quiet and stuff. So this child, we're gonna leave them unnamed. Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly, allegations. We gonna leave the child unnamed, but honey, he didn't put out. He didn't put out a suit, honey. He didn't put out a suit onto onto white. He didn't put out some charges onto white, honey. They they collecting charges onto white, honey. Dwight got a lawyer. He's accusing Dwight of of sexual assault. Is what's happening. The guy is saying that he met Dwight. He also posted receipts of their text messages and their uh in their Instagram correspondence. Um, but he's saying that he agreed to meet with Dwight. Um, he agreed to a potential sexual encounter, but he was shocked to see Miss Kitty come out. <laughs> now, Miss Kitty, I know this story is all over the place. Miss Kitty is apparently a femme presenting a person assigned male at birth. You know, Miss Kitty is still, you know, staying on the low about the things. Uh, Miss Kitty ain't came out and said nothing. But apparently Miss Kitty, or allegedly Miss Kitty, had hopped up out of the closet, honey, and um, was putting her meat into white mouth. This is all allegation. Putting her meat into white mouth, and the child was like, "I want to go home." And Dwight was like, "Uh-uh, we getting down with this freaky business." So that's the allegation, baby. That's have y'all heard the story? Have y'all heard anything about? Um, I didn't hear all the details. I just heard, you know, I just heard something was going on. You know. Yeah. Well, apparently. What about you? Your face. What about you? <laughs> yes, I have heard it. it. It's been all over the internet. <laughs> Before you fill in all the gaps, Diamond, that I'm sure I'm leaving out, honey, long story short, Dwight then, uh, then basically came out and said that he want people to stay up out of his bedroom. You know, he still says he's not gay. But if everything is true and if these alleged text messages and messages and and Instagram messages back and forth is true, then Dwight may be somebody who participates in homosexual activity, but doesn't identify with the LGBT or Q. Diamond, please fill in the blanks because this story <laughs> is, all, is all over the place and I'm all over the place. If it ain't Miss Kitty meeting people mouth, then there's somebody Jesus, help me, Diamond, help me. <laughs> so, no, there are no gaps to fill out. You have really kind of laid it out clearly. But the only thing that I that I, that I think for me that is the weird, I, I just feel it's kind of weird, is, is people's obsession with his sexual identity and not really exploring the sexual assault, a part of it. Like, so many people are making jokes about 
oh, he out, he gay, oh my God, like he admitting it now. Because he did do a live and was talking about y'all too, y'all too worried about what I got going on in my bedroom. That's my business. That's not y'all, that's not y'all business. So whatever I want to do with my meat, my wood, he said, whatever I want to do with my wood, whatever I want to do, that's me. That ain't got nothing to do with y'all. So I, he didn't just come out of his mouth and say, I'm gay. He didn't come out and say that, but he does. He is not denying what's going on in the sense of his sexuality. He's saying he's denying that there was no non, there was nothing. Everything that was happening was consensual. Um, yeah, but, I had not heard about the sexual assault. I didn't, yeah, I was going to say, I just heard, to your point, Diamond, the only thing I heard was, oh, yeah, why are word? Yeah. He on the DL? No, he's not on the DL. I heard nothing, nothing, nothing. And that's why. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he didn't voluntarily come out the closet all of a sudden now. Jay, come on now. Jay, I tried to get. <laughs> I tried no, to no, get... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to your point about the sexual assault, it's like I didn't even really hear about that. I didn't hear about that yeah. in terms of the discourse online. You know, you know, I, I am kind of analog. You know, I'm not all the way up with all the popcorn. But what I what I did see was about uh, his sexual uh, about the DL about the DL and all this kind of stuff and all the all the conversations around that. Not, but I did not even know there were like sexual assault allegations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's when, why when his teeth first came out. Um, or first thought, yeah, first came out publicly. It was always behind him attempting to force someone or control a queer person in order to control uh, his own narrative. Like initially, okay. when, when allegations came out before with uh, Mason Elijah, who is allegedly his ex boyfriend, ex lover, um, when they broke up, this is the, the alleged story. When they broke up, DL wanted Mason to sign an NDA. Dwight. Dwight. <laughs> Mason to sign. Sorry. Dwight wanted Mason to sign uh, an NDA, allegedly. And Mason refused to sign the NDA. And, you know, you can check the rece- all the receipts on um, the fairy dot plus TikTok. Um, yes, honey. Mason was like, uh, <laughs> essentially, had released had released a voicemail where uh, Dwight was essentially trying to put, allegedly put out a hit on Mason, honey. Because Mason didn't sign the MCN. Yes. And so for me, it, it it's the it's that, because that, that's exactly why you didn't hear about the sexual assault stuff, because people are, Jay, because people are not talking about it in that kind of way. And I think it's because um, people are so obsessed with his sexuality. But also, um, there's a part of, I don't think um, men take it as seriously as we do. You think about like how we pe- the public is responding to Lizzo and how people are respond- responding to, like you immediately knew that the Lizzo allocations was, even if it was weirdo, uh, gray area blah 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 blah. it was some sexual assault something going on in the conversation when it when it pertains to lizzo a part of that is that phobia her being a black woman and 
you know, her the, mm. being supported by leftists in a sense. And then, but then when we think about a sports star like like Dwight Howard, the conversation is going to be different. It's going to be because they are so fucking obsessed with other men's sexuality and the manosphere is so obsessed with other men's sexuality Mm -hmm. that that is the news to them it is not that oh he is um maybe potentially harming um a a gay man on the low on the you get i'm saying it's actually that oh he is now we actually know gotcha we got you really are faggot oh you really are gay yeah that's that's the news that, that's the real the conviction is his uh, variance outside of heterosexual. The conviction is not him being a predator. Right. And I feel like that's the blind spot. I feel like there's racial nuance as well, even in the example that you use regarding Lizzo. Lizzo is mainstream, i.e. crossover, i.e. white people listen to, enjoy, and are fans of Lizzo. Dwight Howard... I think this story is a story that's more predominantly cared about in the Black community, number one. And the issue with that is that people are focused on convicting him as homosexual, as LGBT, and not so much focused on convicting him as a predator, as as someone who has assaulted people. And there's Uh, a level of, there's a level of, of course you're a predator, you're a homosexual. Like there's a level of that. That's what I was wondering too. Like, and and not not just are you a homosexual, but like you are are assigned male at birth, cisgender, gay man, right, or a man, right, a male in the culture, right. And so, like, do you think there's a level? Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. It's like a level of like, well, you know, y'all gay anyway, so it ain't really, you know, whatever. There's a level of that. What what makes Black Jesus weep about this whole situation? So is I think that our community isn't paying attention to the bigger picture. And I think the underlying tone of that whole, um, oh yeah, of course y'all are predators, is a whole underlying tone of men can't be abused as well. I, I yeah. think that there's some nuance of that in, in this conversation. I don't think that they take the victim seriously because regardless of whether these are trans women, regardless of whether these are drag queens, um, regardless of whether, you know, the child wears wigs every other day, you know what I mean, or only on the weekends, they're still perceiving them as they do perceive us trans women as a, as essentially male. Mm-hmm. A lot well, of times our, our victimization as as femme presenting people assigned male at birth, um, I, I don't think it's taken seriously because of that whole idea that, you know, men can't be abused. I, I think that that's definitely nuanced that we're missing out on and a more important issue. Cause even for the people who are homophobic and transphobic in our community, you pushing this narrative and you accepting this rhetoric is damaging your young black sons. Is the the dude who is, who is saying that, who's bringing up the allegations, that person is not trans, right? No, that, that the, person this is not is... trans. We don't know, however, if Miss Kitty identifies as trans or not that could have been just somebody dressed up there is a level also in this that reminds me of like ed buck it reminds me of there there's an element of (laughs) these men who have money and how we dismiss some of the harms that they do to the people that they may hire or who may be who may be engaging with them 
in these these situations because they want access to the money that they have. And mm-hmm. so when we look at stories about how they harm people, people so sometimes just say, oh, well, you knew what you was getting into. This is how rich, powerful men do. If you're if you're coming into their bedroom with the getting access to their money, you know they freaky. This is how rich, freaky men do. And so we see it happen to, um, you know, you know, escorts and um, women who are used in a, a sexual objectifying way. But I think that because there are gay men um, I be, because they're gay, gay men in these particular situations, there is a dismissal that happens when it comes to them. Like, nigga, you a grown ass man doing this. So, of course, you know what's happening. And of course, there's a culture of drugs. There's a culture of unprotected sex. There's a culture of this. There's all this kind of sexual deviance that has happened around the scenario that other people just dismiss it and only focus on the sexuality part of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree completely. So, do y'all think I mean, that? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I'm saying I agree, and I think to Bree's point again, like around, like just like the expectation around for men in this culture, where people perceived as such, where people read as such, where people uh, who have this label placed on them, is that uh, around sexual assault or harm? You know what I mean? Like, you, it's not acceptable in the majority of the society to be like, I've been hurt, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's not necessarily encouraged, even though it's healthy. Right. <laughs> but, but I do think that's a part of the dismissiveness, you know, around, like you said, Diamond, what happened with Ed Buck? It was like, I mean, the same thing with Jeffrey Dahmer, like when Jeffrey Dahmer came after all these black people and folks of color, where I'm from in Milwaukee, in the gay community at the gay bars, some of which I've been to, I used to be in, you know, uh, obviously later, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just like, nobody cares. You black gay dude. So the, the black people don't care about you because you're gay. The white people don't care about you because you're black. Yeah. Right. And so you're disposable. Right. And so, you know, there's a level of that. Um, I think it's important too. I'm glad we're kind of talking about this too, for all of us to like, keep that shit in mind. Like we're all dealing with, regardless if it was particularly within the black LGBT community, you know, like, it ain't just trans people dealing with shit, y'all. <laughs> like, all of us are dealing with shit, and we need to be in solidarity with one another, um, even though some of us are catching more hell than others. But it's all in the same system. That's what yeah. fucking all of us up, right? Um, but yeah, no, I, I hear that. I was telling, um, I forgot to say this in the beginning. Um, my... Y'all see why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> so my um my hometown in, during the break. This is the, another another good thing to happen. My hometown flew me back to Indianapolis because this my 25 year anniversary of me suing my high school and winning the case is coming up this spring. Wow! And they um they gave me because I have been working with orgs and and kind of laying the foundation at school and just stuff in my hometown. It gave me a lifetime achievement award and honored me in the beginning of October. And congratulations. Thank you. 
And the reason why I brought that up, because I wanted to bring it up here again, I forgot to tell that. That's another good thing to happen. But the reason why I brought that in in my keynote for the the gala that I was doing that for, I was talking about how I was built for this. Like I was built for this kind of fight because of, you know, some of the fears that what that I kind of was um you know, kind of brought up in, and you brought up Jeffrey Dahmer and in Indianapolis. So there was, um, I talked about Michael Taylor, who was, um, who was murdered by the cops in 1987. He was my uncle. He was like my, 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 not my blood uncle, but he was connected to me in a sense. My, 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 my real uncles were from the same hood that he was in. They were from the South side of Indianapolis and they kind of, kind of ran together in the same, not gang, but in the, in the based on where they lived at in the projects that they lived at, they ran together with him. And so his death was really impactful to my family because he was connected to our family. And so he was murdered by cops and they blamed, they said that he shot himself, even though he was handcuffed behind his back. And they said that he shot himself in the head. And so it caused this whole protest. So, you know, while, you know, people just now kind of being awake to police brutality, not black people, but, people outside of black community when I was young it was I was six years old when that happened and so it was it was in my face that as a black little boy because I hadn't transitioned of course as a black little boy I wasn't safe not only um by um you know by the police in the community <laughs> because yeah you yeah if, y'all probably know because y'all in this age bracket they used to just bring officer to our school i don't know if they did it in baltimore but they used to bring officer to our school it was like an officer friendly program did y'all have that we definitely did um i didn't come to baltimore until i was a teenager so i grew up on the eastern shore and Uh with the shore being very segregated um and very mixed it was a lot of officer friendly type of things going on. Okay. So we had an officer friendly situation where they were trying to basically indoctrinate us that, you know, the police are safe for us and da 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 da. But then at the same time, I'm having one of our, t- and he was 16, get murdered by the police. And it was this whole protest. My uncle took me to the protest. So, uh, so that's one thing. But you brought up Jeffrey Dahmer and um, in Indianapolis, um, we had a Herb Baumeister serial killer in Indianapolis that was killing gay men <laughs> between the ages of 11 and 24. So, yes, the one that got more notoriety. 11. 11. 11. 11 years uh, old, like like middle, like elementary school, middle school. 11 years old to 24. That was the range of his victims. That's not, that's not possible, Diamond. That's not possible. <laughs> the cis heteros and the Republicans say that all children are straight and are born straight. Well, if he's picking them up at gay clubs and gay bars and they done snuck in i remember i told y'all i used to sneak in at a very young age sneaking at gay clubs because we are looking for community even as a young queer person we are looking for community and he will go pick them up and they found 11 bodies buried in his yard and so wow so in my experience as a little queer teenage kid i come up in a time Yes, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer in Cleveland, still in Midwest. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, Jeff, it wasn't in Cleveland. I want to make sure I'm saying the right city. Yeah, it was in Cleveland. 
Milwaukee. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, still in the Midwest. Yes, that became the big story because he was eating motherfuckers and there was a fetishization of him being attractive and cute or whatever. Um, but Herb was also big in Indianapolis at that time from the from 80, late 80s to the early, night, like 95, 96. So during this time, and they didn't give a fuck because it was in the back dab at the tail end of the um, the AIDS epidemic. So it was a simultaneously one thing saying, Fuck the gays. They're being punished <laughs> with this disease that is ravishing their community. But also, fuck the gays. There is these serial killers that are active, like literally active, right? Multiple ones active right now killing gay men. And so there was this fear that was inst- that was supposed to instill fear in me. It would instill fear in me that. I'm so there is things out here that are that are can kill me as a queer assigned male person. <laughs> and while simultaneously I'm learning at my church that assigned female even worse had it even worse for us than us. So all these things, there was like this intersection that was happening when I that I, when I was growing up that said that there is a matrix of domination, as Patricia Hill Collins would say. There is a a matrix that we are navigating. And I had to learn about that matrix very, 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 very young. And so that's what, what you're saying. It may, it, it's making me, it makes, it's making me think about, think about that and think about how, um, you know, just learning how to navigate, navigate that really, really early and how the public really ignores those things. And so this Dwight Howard situation really shows me that we really haven't changed even after this awakening that, you know, has happened in the last couple, the last decade, we really have the public in, in general really hasn't changed that much in regards to how they navigate these very, how they navigate intersectionality, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to throw another layer up there coming from, the Northeast and it being very black and it being very diverse here. Being trans, being gender nonconforming, being openly queer, gay and assigned male at birth, the danger was a little bit different. Um, We didn't have any known serial killers because you could just randomly get killed by any random nigga, even a nigga that you knew. And no, it's not going to make the news because, Mm -hmm. because this is accepted in the hood. You shouldn't have chose that. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have been doing that shit. Yeah. But but what did you say his name was? Diamond Herb. What? Herb Baumeister. It's Herb H E R B Baum M A U M M E I S E R. Home Herb Baumeister. Yes. Wow. 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 And so as I was c- preparing my keynote, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, bitch, you was prepared for this. Like you was, it's almost like your your upbringing just prepared you for this kind of, um, to be able to speak to these things because you were, the, the mass was, the mass was taken off really, really early for me. Me having to think about the dichotomy or the, the, you know, what people are saying and what is being actually, what's being done 
is two different things. And so uh, when it comes to race and when it comes to gender and when it comes to homosexuality and, you know, all these kind of things and how close to home it was, because I had uncles that was telling me, oh, you're going to end up getting the gay people's disease or you're going to end up down there with them faggots down at that gay club down down the street. You know, I would I would it was close to me and it was distant in regards to, you know, Reagan saying crazy ass shit. Or or silence the um, archdiocese in the Catholic Church saying crazy ass shit or silent. It's just it just seeing that kind of intersection and speaking to it. I just was raised to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm the only trans identifying person in my multi ethnic people of color family, and at every family function, I am the one who always hears "Stay safe, be safe." <laughs> I never hear people never tell my brother. I never hear the same family members tell my brother that none of my cousins, male, female, nothing. But um, the question to the audience regarding this whole Dwight Howard incident. (laughs) You're going to keep messing with that now. (laughs) (laughs) Do y'all, the question is for y'all in the audience. Do y'all think that there is a case. Do do y'all think that based on all of the information that's out there and everything we discussed tonight, from what you know, do you think that this child potentially has a case against the white? Why or why not? Let us know. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Marsha's Plate. Child, the ghetto. Y'all know it's about to get mad, don't y'all? Ooh, child, baby, if you've been living under a rock, or you know, if you just not into black entertainment, um, Diddy, <laughs> aka Sean Combs, aka Puff Daddy, aka Puff Diddy, aka Brother Love, aka Sean John, aka Bad Boy Rocker CEO, who was taking all them people money and finally want to start giving them royalties now that their songs ain't playing. Anyway, Diddy was messing with Cassie. He was seeing Cassie. Y'all know Cassie. It's you and me now. The girl who whispered on that, the girl who whispered on that song that we love, honey. Um, who is mostly for cutting off the side of her her head, you know, cutting her hair off for one side of her head than she is for music. Cassie was seeing Diddy, honey, New York, then gave an option for sexual assault victims. Essentially, New York lifted the... Um, oh, oh, statute of limitations. Yes, yep. thank you, Jay. Thank you, Jay. Yes. Essentially, New York... Civil charges. charges. Yeah. Essentially, New York list, lifted the statute of limitations for a period of time for victims and or survivors of sexual assault in their adulthood to come forward and potentially pursue charges against their victimizers or assailants. Cassie um, had filed a suit against Diddy. Cassie claimed that uh, Diddy had essentially been sexually assaulting her and physically assaulting her and manipulating her since the beginning of their relationship when she was 19 years old and he was in his mid to late 30s. Diddy is looking like the 2023 
Bill Cosby. Within days of Cassie filing her lawsuit, Diddy settled immediately. Cassie's lawsuit was filed for over $30 million. Now, the allegations and all the mess are, are just a springboard for me about a di bigger discussion. The bigger discussion, in my opinion, is conversations that have come up in regards to this incident, conversations that we're still having, conversations that we started having about R. Kelly, we continued having about Bill Cosby, and now conversations that are still these same exact conversations are still being had now about P. Diddy. And a lot of these conversations revolve around attempting to blame the victim. A lot of these conversations are very victim blaming. I'm still hearing men specifically, um, but not only men, um, but I've been hearing people specifically um, say that Cassie was old enough to know better and all of these things. Me being someone who is considered above average intelligence, you know, who is not considered intellectually disabled based on my IQ, I can tell you that I have been manipulated personally. I can tell you that I have been in abusive relationships, even as an adult woman, even older than 19 years old. I can't imagine what people think in order to justify the dehumanization of other people. I, I don't get it. I didn't get it even before being someone who experienced sexual assault. Being someone who experienced sexual assault from someone I was dating and was supposed to trust, who was supposed to be my protector and provider, and he was providing me with trauma. I've also had experiences with celebrities. It is not uncommon for trans women to have experiences with celebrities because there are a lot of celebrities who are in the trans women and our community is pretty small. You know, they, they, they don't tend to pick one of us and stick with it. Um, but I've had strange sexual encounters with celebrities. Um, one in particular is a celebrity who has already been outed for his attraction to transgender women. Um, I met him and it was a very unsafe experience. This person for example, looking back, I feel like a, an idiot. You know, um, this person didn't even want me to have pictures of them on my phone that they sent me directly. This person didn't want me to mention their stage name in their presence. This person really wanted me to pretend that I didn't know who they were, that I didn't listen to their music, that I didn't grow up feeling like I knew them. So I just share that just to say that a celebrity men specifically are strange as hell, especially when it comes to sex. Um, but even bigger, I want to know if any of y'all have ever been in manipulative relationships, because again, this does tend to be common for our community. As I said on this podcast before, and I'll continue to say, trans people aren't known commonly to be in relationships trans men more commonly than trans women. But the one common link for all trans people and romantic relationships are trauma. We very rarely experience healthy relationships and we very rarely experience solely 
healthy relationships. Even if we got lucky with one partner, we didn't have somebody who was crazy and abusive. So I'm curious, have y'all ever had those type of manipulative experiences? Before I transition, not really. No. I think just the the because I was around other people that were having some of the conversations that we're having now, and that was some of the people I was dating. So it kind of helped for us even when shit got fucked up, we talked about it and could talk through it because we had that privilege of having the going to the, the school, like you know, school I went to and having access to opportunities for those conversations. So we would talk about abuse and cycle of abuse and you know, talk about, you know, health, mental and emotional health, uh, for most of my adult partners be actually all of them before I transition. But after I transition, shit got a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> she got a little weird. Um, I definitely experienced just like the attempt and the delivery of some manipulation, particularly when I dated straight people, straight person. Like it was like a whole different ball game for me because I wasn't somebody who was dating like in a cis heteronormative kind of situation before I transitioned as well or after. I wasn't somebody that was into like stud, AG, film, fish, coke. Like, I, I wasn't into that. Um, not, you know, because where I was living. <laughs> so it was like to be 1000 where I was living at that time. So that was a big factor. But, and it wasn't just really wasn't my thing. So, like, afterwards, that's when all these different expectations that I later learned just were like, people were like, that's normal. Like, <laughs> the possessiveness and like, you know, are you hanging out with people you could potentially fuck? Oh my God, that's weird. Um, you know, just stuff I just wasn't used to because I just was used to dating other queer people and these very, at that, you know, at that time, very intentional, queer community space type shit. So um, it kind of protected me. I mean, we were intentional for a fucking reason, right? Because we were all like, we ain't trying to, we trying to avoid some bullshit that we see when we go back home, trying to avoid shit. You know what I mean? So like, we were just, we were just, you know, ragtag, <laughs> fucking black and queer, queer trans kids trying to figure it out um, and take advantage of any opportunity we could to do whatever. But yeah, when I was with the straight people, that's when shit got weird. And, you know, um, I didn't know that some of those, um, some of the stuff around manipulation, uh, expectations, um, possessiveness, and all those things were considered so normal and so regular in a lot of and dominant cis heteronormative culture. And that was challenging for me. And I'm glad I got out of that situation because it was not healthy. <laughs> it was like all the red flag, red flag, red flag. But I ignored some of them because I was like, I kind of want to see what this is about. You know, I'm kind of ignorant to whatever y'all do over here in straight people land. Maybe I can make some sense out of it. Maybe this is a cultural exchange problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, it just was the ass shit. I dated somebody who I dated as when I was a lesbian. And they had some very cishet normative expectations when we like hooked up again. And I was like, that's weird because we dated when you were, <laughs> we were like, why are you coming with this new shit? Like you thought my name changing meant that the way I wanted to get a nut was going to change? Sure. 
<laughs> I wouldn't say it like that, but come on, Bray. All right. But yeah, you know, so like, yeah, they just thought, yeah, they were, they thought the mechanics and things and all kinds of shit was just like, and their attempt to be affirmative, right? And I was like, that don't affirm me. I'm gonna just, like, you good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, and we figured it out. Surprisingly, you know, straight people in was actually pretty chill. And I was surprised by, like, how chill it was. Come on, Diamond. Come but, on, Diamond. You got, you got to give me some, some better tea than this. Because Jay... I was on, like, hype. Because I was on my little hyper... I was in hyper-consensual community, blah, blah, blah. Sex out loud. We're talking about sex. We're talking about the different ways we can have sex. We're talking about... I, wanted to, so, I wanted to hear about some green you know, guys, some green you know, That's the community I was in at that time. Right. Jay, Jay's, Jay's perspective is so <laughs> conservative. Jay, you are so conservative. Not honey. conservative vanilla. No, first of all, Jay, first of all, first of all, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me push all the way back. Because in the last segment, we talked about creating the community we want to see. And my ass, my black, queer, trans ass in my 20s was around other black and uh, folks of color who were queer and trans and organizers and blah, 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 who were trying to create the community we want to see. So that is what we had. And a lot of us stayed in that socially into our adult, you know, grown-ass adulthood. After, after Diamond shares her experience, if she's had any in a sexually manipulative situation, I want to round back to that whole idea. I want to round back to that. And, and remind me if I forget, I want to round back to the idea of... Um, the juxtaposition and being a public figure, being a trans activist, and also being kinky or being openly kinky. What about um, you? So, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint, <laughs> but um, it's it's not the sexual, like me doing sexual things that was forced like no it wasn't i've never been in a situation where i was forced to do something like manipulated yes but forced like in the sense of i you're forcing me to do this or there's some negative i gotta do this or there's some negative consequences i've never been in a situation like that where i my agency didn't come up so but I have been in a situation, I know in these conversations about these scenarios with Cassie and um, Gloria Val- Vasquez or whatever her name, whatever her name is with Lou and, and, and Velez. She's transphobic. Yeah, I would, you know. Um, in those situations, a lot of times, and women who just come um, victims, not just women, but victims who come forward years later, the conversation is always why they didn't come come to for why well, didn't tell this back then da, da, da. and there's various reasons to that i think i don't even entertain those questions because it's it, i think it's disingenuous you don't really care why you just want to invalidate their experience so anyway but me my own personal experience there is a situation in my younger years where i was a teenager and i was dealing with a 28 year old man and this is somebody who was a staff member in my group home. During the time that it was happening as a teenager, it didn't feel wrong to me because I wasn't being forced into something. 
And the things that I was doing, I wanted to do. I wanted, I, it didn't feel like somebody, it didn't feel like any kind of molestation. It didn't feel like pressure. It didn't feel like I was anything like that. As an adult, a 42-year-old person who knows the inappropriateness of somebody 28 dealing with somebody 16, 14, 15, 16, there is a, a clear line for me that this is wrong. You feel what I'm saying? Like, I know when I look at this, this is wrong. But at my 14... Right. right. But as a 14-year-old... <laughs> 14 to 16 year old who was having agency over my sexuality. I was dealing with peer my age, messing around with them and having fun. He was just a part of my having fun. I wasn't being forced into nothing. Now mm. it's his responsibility as right. an adult, he right? He should have known better. You are grown, you are almost 30. You should have known better. So when I told my mother that this was going was going on at the group home that I was at, now my mother was going through her addiction at the time, which is why I was at a group home. But when I told my mother, my a mother immediately went into, what the fuck? Like she went into, no, this is inappropriate. This right. is not what this should have. And it offended me as a teenager because I was like, no, it's not that. Like, she's going into, you're molesting my baby mode. And I'm going into, no, he didn't force me into nothing. I wanted to do this. I da 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 So she didn't have any um, power to do anything about it. And, honey, she was chasing drugs. She wasn't trying to, you know what I'm saying? She wasn't. This is just a personal conversation we were having. At the time when I was young, I was, like, you know, defending him, like, there was a protection of my agency that I needed to have when I was a teenager. That that I that as an adult I understand like baby this was an older person that was manipulating you, but as a teenager I felt like if I wanted to do it which I did, I'm not being forced into it. I'm not being pushed down and held down. I want to do it. Like I'm flirting with him because he's a sexy grown man. I'm flirting with him and I'm yes, he should have known better but there was some agency that I was protecting for myself. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized even though I was protecting that agency for myself because I do feel like teenagers with other teenagers should have agency over their body should be able to mm -hmm. make the decision when they're ready. And I don't think adults should be in that. So that's a whole other conversation. But I there was an agency thing that I was protecting in my younger years. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, he should have fucking known better. And so there is there was a I don't know when it happened in regards to not the time frame, but when I started to really question um the wrong and rightness of this relationship. He ended up getting murdered because he witnessed a, a crime and ended up getting murdered when I was in my when I was in my 20s. But in my 20s, I, I think it happened around in my somewhere in my early 30s where I really was questioning the relationship that I had with him where I'm like, oh, 
Yeah, you was kind of creepy, bro. Like, first of all, the power of the situation. I didn't feel any pressure about the power of him being a staff member. So I don't want I don't want that to be the implication. But you were a staff member at a group home full of little not little boys. Like we were teenagers, but minors. And you you are in this situation where you should have known better that you shouldn't have been having sex with me, even if I wanted to have sex with you, even if I was on some low leader shit and wanted to seduce you and have you and blah, 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 blah. You're the adult, so you should have known better. And so I started to think about it differently as I got older. What made me 100% feel like it was a manipulation thing and because I was queer, I I was blind to the manipulation, young and queer, is when I got older and my little brother, the one that I raised, told me about a situation with this same exact dude where he was trying to manipulate my brother into a sexual situation. But because my brother is not a queer kid, my brother was able to get out of the situation. Like my brother was able to be like, mm, this feeling kind of creepy, dude, I'm about to be out. Cause he was not, a, I'm for, I, he was not, his predatory MO was not, I'm forcing you. His predatory mm -hmm. MO was not, I'm holding you down, I'm forcing you to, no, it's not that. It was, I'm making you comfortable enough with me to want to explore sexuality and you make the decision and i have patience enough to let you think because you're a kid that you are making the decision that is his predatory mo mm -hmm. and me being the teenager couldn't pick up on that because i was a teenager and a horny teenager who wanted to have sexual experience <laughs> but my brother <laughs> being a straight cishead man a cishead boy was like mm, you getting kind of creepy my nigga i'm about to be out but when my brother told right. me that it, it reinforced, oh, you really were a creep. That's what yeah. it was. I just, because I was queer, I explored it. My brother did not. And yeah. so, yes. Yeah, so this is the scenario that I always go back to when I talk about the manipulation of adults. Nigga, you did know better. I just was too young, too queer, too experimental to figure it out. Not saying that it's my fault, but I, I just... Um, I just I had to grow older and realize and see multiple other situations that um to make me look at it in that way. So yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Celebrity never. I've I've been in celebrity situations, but they were always transactional. I am doing something for you for some money. And I was the agency of that. Like I was an adult and hey, you a celebrity, you got some money, I need my bills paid, what's the tea? You want to fulfill fantasy? Give me money. I've never been in a situation with a celebrity and they forced me in a situation. It was always, hey, um, the economics of my situation forced me in a situation to do with them what I did with them. <laughs> gotcha. so, yeah. yeah, me, I've, I've never been uh, forced by a celebrity. I, I have been forced by somebody who was, you know, not a celebrity, but just a creep. Full disclosure, I felt manipulated in most of my sexual interactions with cisgender men. Mm. I felt manipulated in most of my interactions with cisgender men, especially after transitioning and being seen and perceived as a woman. I felt manipulated. I, I feel like I immediately noticed the difference in interacting with cisgender men when being perceived as a boy versus being perceived as a woman. 
Um, and this is honestly why I avoid interacting romantically and sexually with people who identify as cisgender men. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my own little personal experience. But for everybody listening right now, you know, I think it's important for us to have these conversations openly and publicly. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. That's hashtag M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-O-T-E. My last question. I've been doing some sexual sexual exploration lately. Um, I had I'm a bit of a late bloomer in my sexual exploration. A lot of my sexual exploration took pause and took a backseat to me working through my sexual traumas that I experienced after be after transitioning into a woman and being seen as a woman. Do you all feel it ever feel it necessary or ever feel a sense of added pressure to repress your sexuality because you're public publicly known as an advocate for the queer community? For example, me growing up, um, I hated the fact that one of the platforms that I've standed on um, has been the idea that being queer doesn't mean um, being uh, sex positive. It doesn't mean being sexually explorative. It doesn't mean being non-monogamous. Um, but it, it tends to be associated, but queerness tends to be associated with all of those things. Um, all of those very, all of those variations of, of traditional sexuality. I know for me personally, um, like I said, I'm still working through certain things and there are things that I'm still not comfortable being public about when it comes to certain aspects of my sexuality and my kinkiness. Do you all ever feel that pressure as, as advocates? in the queer community? Actually, I don't really feel a certain level of pressure. I, and I think some of it's, I've kind of been a queer, visible, public person for a long time, since my 20s. And I used to feel that way. You know, I think I mentioned before where like the, the, the person who was based on gender, but they were like, they came to work in a suit to the Capitol and I came in like Girl Pants Express. Cause I was like, I can't do what you do publicly you know, around gender, and I felt the way that same way about sexuality. But I would say that probably changed by the time I was probably, like, 25. And, like, I just don't really care, you know. Um, and there's a lot of people in the community that do advocacy work as well that don't really give a fuck, that have been around for a minute or not, and don't really give a fuck. I think there's a segment of the community who do advocacy work that are just are a little bit more down, down to earth around that kind of stuff. I'm not saying anything, people that's uptight. I, you know, that's just been the my lived experience, particularly. Um, uh, it was more uptight in Milwaukee. I'm, I ain't gonna lie, it was more uptight there. But I just, I just live. I just, just so happen to live in two very progressive communities. Madison is very progressive. It's the most progressive part of the state of Wisconsin. Probably one of the most progressive places in the Midwest. Seattle, King County is one of the most progressive places in the country as well. So. I think those, because of that, I haven't been put in that situation to have to make certain choices um, because I be part of it is intentional being in communities where like those things aren't um, as high stakes. What about you, Diamond? 
Oh, God. So I am a vanilla ass bitch. I like regular sex. I like oral sex. I like giving head, giving I head. I don't like regular sex. Regular ass sex. So I don't have, I'm in that regards, I'm vanilla. I don't be wanting to be in threesomes and shit. I, I have in my past, but usually it's just kind of happened. It's not something that I'm, I, how my brain works is, I am turned on by whoever I'm engaging with them being turned on. So if 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 something new is happening and I see their response to it is like, ooh, then I'm gonna be like, oh, let's do it. Like it, it's not gonna be, oh, I got this fantasy, I want to try this, and I don't. That's not how my brain works. My brain works. It, I'm a reactionary lover, so if I see you into it, I'm gonna be turned on. And so any threesome that I've been in is because the person I'm engaging with is hot in the moment because, ooh, this threesome could possibly happen. And then I'm hot, like, ooh, let's make it happen. And I'm not, I'm a person that if it's a fantasy that can go on and it's making everybody turn up, I'm not going to ruin the moment and not turn up because it's not my fantasy. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to be like, ooh, my fantasy is everybody being turned up. However we get there, Let's make it happen. That's kind of how I, how my brain works. So I don't really have fantasies. I don't really have these strict rules in um, super, super strict rules about what I won't do. But if it's me controlling the scenario, it is going to be regular sex. We going to give each other a head. We might fuck each other. I'm, ver I'm real versed. So, hey, however that works. <laughs> you know, so we go, we gonna get each other's nut off. That's my, that's my thing. But extra shit, if the extra shit happened is because the partner wants it to happen. So I say all of that because in my life, there is, there is a little church girl in me. <laughs> there is a there is a little church girl, church woman in me. She little, she don't overpower shit in order for me to be <laughs> shady, but she in there when it comes to decisions that I make for myself. So there is some respectability politics in rules and how I navigate the world. So I don't want to be out here and everybody in the community done fucked me. That is late to me. <laughs> that is tired. I for me, my own standard. Now, if everybody, if somebody else is doing it, I'm not gonna judge them. I'm like, ah, yeah, get your life. I'm gonna be celebrating you. But I don't like the idea of a bunch of people in community being able to say they fuck Diamond Styles. I don't like that. <laughs> so you I don't like that. That doesn't feel prestigious to me. If I want people to know that if they have motherfucker to fuck with Diamond Styles, it is because they worked hard to get it, and I like the motherfuckers. They, they, I really like them. If you get in my bedroom, it's because I, you a dime piece, and I like you, dime piece in personality, dime piece in look, dime piece in you a motherfucking. Yes, that's what it is. So I don't want. One of the reasons why I don't explore in community is because of that. There are people who have come to me to have sex, popular people in community, they have come to me and pushed up on me. And I'm like, ooh, not because they not attractive, but because I just don't want to be out there in community. So it does, community, being a figure in community does shift my mindset in how I want to have sex. 
Diamond, to your point, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even, I guess I wasn't even really thinking about it on that level too. But yeah, co-sign on that. Um, younger partners I had were also in this work, but we were kids, so it made sense then. To some of your point, <laughs> but uh, today, yeah, it's definitely something I'm conscious of around. Yeah, because dynamics can get weird. Power dynamics can get weird, all that stuff. Um, so it's definitely something I keep in mind. But also, I will, I, again, I will I will say I do live in a pretty, you know, we're trying to be the most progressive place on the planet kind of place. So people try to be, you know, um, what's the word? What am I, what's the phrase that's skipping my mind about sex? Sexual, not sex sexually positive. liberated, but sex positive, right. So yeah, so like being sex positive is a big, big, big part of the culture. So I, I which is not most places where it's like, this, we actively, intentionally being sex positive, <laughs> fucking normal, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's some West Coast shit, period, I ain't gonna front, you know what I mean? Um, but, um, so I think that that's a factor. Um, but I ain't from out here, so I'm kind of like you, like, my, my business, like, don't nobody need to know my personal business at all. Right. Kind of how we were talking about Queen Latifah and everybody else earlier, like, on that cusp of Gen X and millennials where it's like, no, I'm free, but you don't need to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, well, for me. And that's, my, and that's my prerogative agency to say that, so. For me, I haven't had as much comfort being a little bit younger than y'all. I haven't had as much comfort in being a bit more conservative, a bit more prudish, a bit more vanilla. Um, because I grew I, I am part of the the sex positive generation. I've just never been the super sex positive girl. You know, um a lot piggybacking off of what y'all said, a lot like diamond in the sense that I don't want everybody to be able to say that they've had sex with me. I don't want everybody to think that it's a possibility for them to be able to have sex with me. I'm actually offended when I'm online and these people contact me on apps knowing damn well you wouldn't approach me in person, you know, and, and a lot of them don't approach me with any real candor or grace. They approach me immediately sexualizing me because for whatever some kind of psychotic reason, this is the closest that they know that they're going to get to sex with me. But um, but I have, I've, I've always been a bit prudish, was always the late bloomer sexually, didn't have sex until I was an adult, was the last of all of my friends, all of those things. But I, in this go-rounds and being single and intentionally being single and allowing myself rediscovery, I have been exploring my sexuality a little bit more and I have less rules. I'm, I'm not as rigid as I was sexually, but I'm also not in a place where I'm ready to share a lot of these new experiences and a lot of these sexual nuances with the public, you know, and, um, but I'm all, I also don't care if people find out, you know, but still, um, I guess that that's that millennial influence. It's one of those things if if I'm not fucking you, you don't need to know what's going on in my bedroom. I don't think I, I don't think I have that in me. I think I'm I'm an open book, so I talk about everything I do. Um but I don't talk about who I do it with. Mm. I talk about I talk I, I'm open about my own sexual experience okay. because I, I think it gives people um liberation to be open 
I feel like um, one of I have nieces and nephews that come to me about sexual stuff all the time because I don't bring judgment. Like we can talk about whatever. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. whatever I experience, what whatever it is. And so I talk about my experience, but I don't talk about who I did those experience with. And so I'm comfortable in that regard. Um, but also, I because I was a sex worker, it almost is like I done did so much shit because uh, of because of sex work. Yeah. I done did so many things that I'm more into quality like quality of sex than I am with trying to do new stuff. Like I, I know I don't experience so much shit that I know what I like and what I don't like. And so Mm -hmm. in regard, particularly around a penis, (laughs) I've never been Mm -hmm. with somebody with a vagina sexually. And so Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that. I don't know anything about that, but in regards to a penis, you can't come to me and entice me about with some new shit in regards to a penis. Sweetie, I done had penis every which way. You can't, you can't, you can't entice me with this. So it's about what's the quality of what we're gonna do. Like, let me know. And sometimes you can't figure that out until you're in the moment. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I like the quality to be high. I don't care about the quantity. I'm not trying to get um most and recently, um, I was telling this guy, so this guy <laughs> turned me down maybe like 10 years ago. Cishet guy, and I told him my tea, and he turned me down. And that's a rare thing for me. And I am an arrogant ass bitch in regards to who I pursue. You turn me down. I can tell I can healthily deal with rejection. But when you turn me down in my brain, I'm like, what happened? Like, what? Ah, it's, it, it, it's, it's something about something about it. I'm like, oh my God, I wish that I hate that you turned me down because you would for me to pursue you is because you my type. And so he was one of the ones that turned me down about 10 years ago. So Fast forward 10 years later, I end up having him <laughs> on the roster. And so there is a level of me that is, uh, there's a conquership, like there's a conquering thing that I kind of sometimes need. And there's a, it's a childish level to it. And so being your introduction to this community is still has some value to me. I don't want to say always, but you know, ushering you into your queerness. I like to be that vessel. <laughs> I like to, I like to be that vessel. So sometimes I have a um, I don't want to say unhealthy because I'm not, it's just I like to be that. And some people are like, ooh, um, first timers don't do nothing for me. There's still a I in my regular relationships, yes, I want I don't want you to be a first timer, but there's still a little titillation. Ooh with being somebody's first that's still in the back of my mind like me dealing with a guy that never messed around before and me showing you how powerful quick sex can be there's a still there is a level of that that um still entices me as and somebody. i feel like so i, I feel like i feel like you mentioned something being i i feel like overall your perspective contrasts mine in the sense of you having experience as a sex worker and me not. 
Um, I think it's very possible for, I know for a lot of girls that I know, their introduction into sexuality as a transgender woman was through sex work. And I think with sex work, a lot of women found empowerment and control, even if the control was just knowing that this was only monetary. I'm going to be guarded. I'm going to keep my boundaries up. You know, I'm going to detach myself from this um, for because it's professional. This is a professional interaction, not a personal one, not a romantic one, not an emotional one, you know? And I think for me, um, I lost, I, I don't feel that security in um, sexual relationships again, specifically with cisgender men, I think because I navigated my sexuality as a transgender woman with um, men who were manipulating me to get in my draws or or attempting to manipulate me to get in my draws. It was um, a thing, kind of the opposite of what you said, Diamond, I think for a lot of girls, I mean, I think for a lot of guys, it was the idea of conquering me, the idea of um, of getting the girl who who wasn't the sex worker, you know, getting the girl that um, that guys with money didn't may not have had access to. I think it was that whole idea of also conquering me just on the strength of them being themselves and and there not being money involved. Um, and with that, I lost I lost a sense of control. And I've lost a trust for cisgender men when it comes to my my sexuality. Um, sex has always been too emotional for me for it to be a professional thing. Um, and I think that I found strength in that at some point. But now I'm starting to, re- in hindsight, I'm starting to see and I'm starting to realize how there are many disadvantages for me to develop sexually as a transgender woman because it wasn't, I wasn't navigating sexuality like everybody else in the community was. I was essentially the eyeball out. So yeah, so I I think that that, that that's what I'm, some of the stuff I'm working through now, now I think that I'm finally getting to a place where I'm able to start genuinely exploring my sexuality because I'm not, I'm not, con- I'm, I'm not as easily duped. I'm not as, I'm not as naive. Um, and also sex, had, I'm, I'm learning to compartmentalize sex and I'm starting to view sex as not necessarily a romantic or emotional interaction. I'm starting to view it, I'm starting to view it as transactional, you know, um, I, I honestly am now, now at this big age, I am open to um, transactional sexual relationships that are monetary. I am open to um, essentially prostituting if it's depending on the person, you know, I'm I'm not selling myself as a sex worker. I'm not advertising sex work, but if I come across a guy who only wants sex from me and I find him attractive and he got the money, hey, let's get it. You know, but the the old Brie would have would have never done that. The the old me would have been turned off by the idea of you offering me money, you know. Um, but now, like I said, it's it's becoming less emotional, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I I think that I am conforming to. 
our society. But realistically, I know that we live in a very oversexed society. Mm. So, but what do you think? What, what do y'all think? All of the listeners. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria. More than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria. More than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme you a feeling. And the high can never come down from. What has been bringing y'all euphoria this week? Well, Diamond, for me, the euphoria this week has been the housing market. Honey, I am feeling euphoric and living in a place where the the landlord doesn't pressure me much to pay the rent because he knows that not many other people would live here outside of me. And I think he knows that I wouldn't live here if I didn't need it, need to live here at the moment. Um, but no, seriously, um, I'm I'm starting to appreciate my, my little basement apartment, you know, as I'm coming out of my mental health crisis and coming back to reality. I'm starting to see my space for what it is. And that is essentially four walls. And everything that will make it home will be the things that I do and bring and add to this space. So I'm finding euphoria in, in my own space and, and in my home right now. Mm. So I think that's amazing. I think somebody being that forgiving in regards to um like rent and shit, I feel like, yay, that's good. Because well, this motherfucker is well, chasing coins. We we want we want to pray and continue. We want to pray and hope that the landlord continues to realize that you know he has not come to fix anything that I need fixed, and um you know the apartment has literally leaked since I've been here. Um I I'm hoping that he realizes that we are doing each other a favor, and I hope he continues to realize that we are doing each other a favor and. Hopefully one day he will realize that he was a part of something bigger and more important than mm-hmm. he may have realized when allowing me to move in here. Mm-hmm. What's bringing you euphoria, Jay? What's bringing me euphoria? Um, last couple of days, I was able to spend some time with a whole bunch of other Black queer trans people. First of all, I'm still got euphoria from being in Houston. <laughs> Let's be clear. Because yeah. that's my soul big time. We are no, I'm in white land, y'all. But I was not in white land over the last couple of days. I was with other black queer and trans people on the national day of mourning, aka Thanksgiving. Boo. Anyway, but was in community with folks, ate down, ate all the way down. Um, folks from down south were cooking, so I had, you know, a real oh man, it was good. Anyway, so I'm grateful for that. That's bringing me euphoria, bringing me gender euphoria just to be able to be uh in community with other black queer and trans folk. Um over the last couple of days, so yeah, and just be, mm. you know, I'm grateful for that. Mm. What about you, Diamond? Let's bring you for it. Oh, so yes, last week, last um Sunday, we had a not this Sunday, just past the one before that, um, for Black Trans Empowerment Week, 
Um, y'all weren't there because we couldn't afford for y'all to stay the whole weekend. So we just we had y'all there for the event and left the next day. The next that next Sunday, um, they usually during Mahogany Project and SOS usually do like a um, awards brunch. And um, it kind of gives honor to people in the city. And they surprised me with a Woman of the Year award. They didn't tell me it was happening. And I'm sitting, there, ah, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm there for the event. Cause so I'm like, Hey, like, <laughs> and they done told me that they gave Aria a lifetime achievement award. So Aria, we, they had already told me about Aria. They told me that I was going to present her the award. And so we presented it to Aria and then I sat back down and da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden woman of the year award come running. I'm sitting there like, Who's gonna be woman of the world this year? <laughs> and, and it was me. And they brought all of the Houston girls who have won because it's a city thing. Um, Houston girls in the community who have won the award before in years past, and they had oh, them wow. lined up, lined up in the um on the stage, and then they started talking, and I was like, wait, hold on. So I just started bawling and crying because I didn't expect it. And it was so dope. And, you know, I'm not from Houston. I am from Indianapolis, Indiana. I am not a native. And so to be, for the community to wrap their arms around me and acknowledge my work and acknowledge that I am a part of the community and, you know, a powerful part of the community and an aspiring part of the community, um, it's so dope when it's not your hometown. Even though in the beginning, you know, in October I got my hometown showing my love. For me to get get some love shown to me in this city that I call my new home, it it just has been amazing. And it was it brought me so much euphoria and so much appreciation. And yeah, I've been here for 16 years. And yeah, this wow. is the first time. You know, people, of course, I've been in events and people love me and stuff like that. But to be acknowledged by girls who you don't you that you didn't didn't realize it is watching you or inspired. Right. You. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it just was so dope. It brought me so much euphoria. So that's what brought me euphoria this past week. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, y'all, let us know what has been bringing y'all euphoria this week. And, yes, this has been long as hell, so it's going to be split into two. And so, so yes, we will see y'all next week. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We'll be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's going to be home.